0: Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan and thank you for joining us today. This is week seven of our study of the book of James and today we're going to move further into chapter two of James. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to James chapter two beginning in verse 14 and today we're going to read up to verse 20. And as you're doing that, let me go ahead and open us up with a word of prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, as we enter into your presence this morning, please quiet our hearts. Please silence the thoughts of our minds that are contrary to you, that are distracting us from spending time with you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this new morning. We thank you for renewing a passion within us for your word and bringing us here. We thank you, Lord, for giving us a saving faith. And We need to understand, Lord, that it is not a faith that is by itself. But there needs to be a working faith, a saving faith. Because any other kind of faith is a dead faith. It is not real, and it does not save. Please help us to understand this more today as we enter into your word. And please allow the Holy Spirit to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read the scripture for today. Beginning in verse 14, James chapter 2. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So today we came to a very provocative piece of scripture here that has caused a lot of divisions among not only Protestant circles, but also one of the major differences between the Protestant movement and the Catholic Church. And so we need to understand this piece of Scripture very carefully in order to ensure that we have a faith that is legitimate. And so we start off our reading today with a couple of very important questions that James poses to us. What use is it? In other words, what good is it? What value does it have? What good is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works. Can that faith save him? And so what he's going to be doing is spending the rest of his time, not only in today's reading, but also in our next reading, in answering that very question. Can that kind of faith that has no works save you? Now, as we've seen, James has spent quite a bit of time already developing an important understanding of what true religion is, right? We saw that it is demonstrated in obedience and in good works. But additionally, faith, and I'm talking about real faith, will make a difference in the way that we speak, the way that we listen to God's Word, the way that we endure trials, and the way that we reject favoritism or partiality. These are all signs of a transformed life, something that is different from the patterns of this world. And so there should be evidence in the way that we conduct ourselves, the way that we approach God's Word, and the way that we interact with the world around us, there should be evidence of a transformed life. And this evidence of a transformed life is what we call works. And so we're going to expand upon that idea for the next couple of sessions in order to get a full understanding and a deeper grasp of what James is speaking about today. Now, James doesn't come right out to say it, but what he is saying is that there is a faith that is legitimate, but yet at the same time, there is also a faith that may appear to be legitimate, but is a false faith. It is not what we would call a saving faith. Now, to be clear, if A transformed life is evidence of a saving faith, then a non saving faith is composed of truths that we might get from God's word, but yet has no impact on our lives or the way that we conduct ourselves. So while the works themselves do not save you, which is something that James is going to conclude near the end, there should be a demonstration of your faith in our everyday lives. Any other kind of faith, as James says, is dead. It is useless. It is worthless. It is an illusion that we've built for ourselves. Beginning in verse 15, James begins to illustrate a mental picture that he's building for us of what it means to have a dead faith. So he gives us the picture here. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food. So when we talk about brother or sister, we're referring to a fellow Christian. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food. And this is coming out of the end of chapter 1, where it says that pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God is to visit orphans and widows in their distress and this is obviously someone who is distressed, okay? Therefore, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, as in in distress, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, that's all you did. All you did was give them comforting words. You gave them words of peace, you gave them words of comfort, but yet you didn't address the actual issue. You said all the right things, but you did nothing to address the issue. You did nothing to help the situation at all. And yet, you do not give them what is necessary for their body, which is the clothing and which is the food. Then he asks the question, what's the use of that? What point is there to what you just did? How are your words without any action to them, going to help this individual. That sounds great that they want to be warmed and be filled, but you're not actually helping them be warm and be filled. Therefore, those are empty words, right? Because if you really indeed cared about their physical being, then you would do something about it. But because you didn't, James says that faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself, which means it has no foundation, there's no substance to it. So what good is it so far? It is of no good to have a faith without works. Now, as he's going to expand upon next time, he's not saying that the works are what save you, and that is a huge difference between the Catholic and Protestant Church the works are not necessary for your salvation. However, there should be evidence in your life that you have truly been transformed into a Christian. And if there is no evidence of that, then the legitimacy of your salvation comes into question. Are you indeed a child of God? And the answer is no, if there is no transformation. It's pretty cut and dry in this regard. I want you to stop for a moment, and I want you to think about people in your own life. Either you and your interactions with people, or people that you know. Do you know of anyone who has a Christian view of things? They believe in God, they believe that sin is bad, they believe that salvation is necessary to go to heaven, but they don't live out this Christian faith every day. They are not a moral person all the time. They cuss, they drink, they do all this nasty stuff outside of church. You know that they live a very sinful, ungodly life, and yet they make all these claims that they believe in Christian values. Does anyone you know in your life fit that bill? Do you see how it appears to be all a lie? How it all appears to be a contradiction of itself? That's exactly what James is trying to show us here is that faith without works is completely dead because it is so obvious that it's not real, and we cannot tolerate this kind of fakeness. And there's also another kind of faith that we need to be careful of. There's a difference between believism and faith, okay? Believism is the idea that is very prevalent today, that All you need to do is simply believe in Jesus, and you will go to heaven. That's all you got to do is simply believe in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. There's nothing else required. There's no repentance. There's no works. There's no serving in your local church. There's no obedience and transformation that needs to take place. All you have to do is believe in Jesus, and you'll be saved. It's not that simple, unfortunately. And even worse, that's what a lot of churches teach today. This form of easy believism, where there is no substance, there's no responsibility, there's no cost to following Christ. And yet, the Bible doesn't speak about this kind of believism. That is not legitimate faith. What does Jesus himself say? Is that if anyone wants to follow after me, one must take their cross daily, deny themselves, and follow him. That is what is necessary in order to be a true disciple of Jesus. So there's a cost, right? There is a sacrifice that has to be made of your own ego, of your own time, of your own motives in order to serve someone else. And if there's no evidence of that in your life, that you even care about that kind of stuff, Then what you believe is all a lie. Jesus has to come before everything else. Let's move down to verse 18. But someone may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So someone here is challenging the idea of faith and works. And the argument really stops where it says, Show me. Show me your faith, and I will show you my faith by my works. And James wastes no time in countering that particular statement by throwing in this piece here in verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Now, normally when I read the Bible, I hear it in a human voice in my head. That's just how I do it. But when I read this, I hear it in a sarcastic tone. And I hope you hear it that way, too, because that's how James intends it. You believe that God is one. Good job. Good for you. Well, here's the reality. The demons also believe and shudder. What does he mean by this? You believe that God is one. Okay. The unity of the Trinity. The idea that there are three persons, but yet one God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That has been understood since the very beginning of Judaism. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God, Elohim, which is a masculine plural noun, created the heavens and the earth. So it's always been a fundamental understanding of Judaism, and now Christianity, that God is one. God is three in one, and while that is complicated to understand, and mortally impossible, really, to get a full grasp of it, that is a fundamental understanding of who God is. But yet that is not enough to save you. Because guess what? The demons believe this as well. They have what is called a monotheistic view as well. They believe in God too. They have been in his direct presence. They know who God the Father is. They know who God the Son is. They know who God the Holy Spirit is. Think about when Jesus was walking the earth. There were times that he interacted with demons, and the demons freaked out and were proclaiming exactly who he was that he was the Son of God, and that he was capable of throwing him into the abyss. So for us to say that we believe in God, is so empty. It's so vain and so pointless, because even the demons believe that. And they shudder. They understand exactly who it is that they defy. It is not a saving faith that the demons have. If they did, they would never have fallen from heaven, right? But they understand who God is. They choose not to believe his words or his actions, but they know he exists. But if he truly does exist, and you truly believe that, shouldn't that change the way that we live and do things? Shouldn't that change the way that we interact with our fellow man? Shouldn't that change the way that we look at morality and the patterns of this world? So for you to say that you believe in God and you have no works in your faith, there is no working faith, then your faith is about as deep as a demon that's pretty crazy when you think about it like that. But let me stop for a second. Maybe this is a shock to you. Demons believe in God? Well, of course they do, because, as the Bible teaches, demons were angels at one point. They are fallen angels. They are ones that were cast out of heaven for defying God. They chose to put their allegiance with Satan, and they all fell with Satan out of heaven. A third of the holy angels went down to earth, and then we see all the stuff that they've been doing throughout history and are continuing to do behind the scenes, including interacting with your spiritual life. They are constantly on the attack. They are prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. They are actively trying to destroy you. That is why so often Our lives as Christians are called spiritual warfare because that is the reality of our situation. But here's a very potent example of this kind of faith and understanding that demons have. For one, they are spiritual beings and they're immortal. They are not capable of dying by old age. They have been around since before Adam and Eve were out of the garden. And so they are very smart. They're a lot smarter than we are, and they have a lot more power than we do. Our God is infinitely greater, let's be clear. But on our own, we will be defeated by demons. But not only that, but demons know the Scripture. Think about what Satan did with Jesus in the wilderness. When he tempted Jesus those three times, there was one time where Jesus was challenged by Satan with Scripture. Satan used Scripture against the creator of the Scripture. Now, he purposely manipulated what it was saying by leaving a portion of the Scripture out, but he knows it. And that's exactly how he tries to get into our heads, by misquoting Scripture, or by misreading Scripture intentionally, or twisting what it's trying to say. And people run with that, sadly. Where do you think these ideas of easy believism or faith without works comes from? Some of it is of human imagination, but some of it is from demonic inspiration. And that's exactly how they try to destroy the church from within. By preaching emptiness at the pulpit. By putting no substance in the faith of its believers it's an attack it is an intentional assault on the church so my point of all this is that do not be surprised if demons use what we think is holy against us because it also says that satan can appear as an angel of light he can make it seem like his motives are pure and innocent or or the voice that you're hearing in your head or in your heart you think is god but it's not. And we let this intrude in our understanding of the Bible without actually studying it and taking it deeper than what you hear. That's why you should always test the spirits, as John says in First John, because so often we will hear something and we will like what we hear, but we won't test it with Scripture to see if it's true or not. And sometimes we are listening to the wrong voice, and it will lead us astray. Even worse, if you have influence in your life of some kind, even if like you're a Sunday school teacher, and you're teaching something incorrect, that's dangerous. And the Bible speaks directly against that. So he concludes with the final question in verse 20. Are you willing to recognize, do you want to hear the truth, friend? Are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Are you willing to accept that? Are you willing to take a good, hard look at yourself in the mirror and reflect on this? Is the faith you have legitimate? So maybe we need to understand what faith is a little bit better. And there's no better place to discover that then in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, what we would often call the faith chapter. Look with me at verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. So this is the biblical definition of what faith is. It is the assurance, the confidence of things that are hoped for. Having confidence in something that has not happened yet. Or, like it says here, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is giving reality and proof of things that we simply can't see. Whether it's because of time or because it's something of a spiritual nature. So even though we can't see them, through faith, we treat them as if they are tangible, that they are real, and that we can see them with some sort of clarity. That's what it means to have faith. Verse 3 By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So again, it is an assurance, a belief in something that you simply cannot see. Let's go down to verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, being God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So without faith, it is impossible to please God. That is a very strong statement. And there is no room for an alternate interpretation of this. It is cut and dry, black and white. Without faith, you cannot please God. And then it says that he who comes to God, meaning that tries to enter into his presence, tries to know who he is in prayer or reading the scripture, must believe that he is, meaning that He exists. We have to believe that he is real, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We have to believe that God wants people to find him, and that he gives blessings to those who seek him. Those are the very basic requirements to being a person of faith. We're not going to get into it this time, but next time we're going to go into more of Hebrews 11, to look at some people in the Old Testament who demonstrated what working faith is. And if I can sum it up in this statement, a workless faith is a worthless faith. And there will be some examples that we'll look at, such as Abraham. What did he do that demonstrated that he really had faith? did he have any works with his faith? And bear in mind that Abraham lived hundreds of years before the first five books of the Bible were written, including the law of Moses. So how did he get to go to heaven if he didn't have the Bible? So we'll explore that next time. So let's ask the question again in verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith But he has no works. Well, he's concluded that it is dead, right? It is pointless. It is not a real saving faith. Can that faith save him? No. No, it cannot. That is not a legitimate God given faith. That is a construct of your own mind or a lie that you've convinced yourself of that you indeed have faith when you really don't. Because true faith has a transformed life with works involved. The works do not save you, but they are a public demonstration of what you believe. And if you claim you don't need works, then you're no different than the demons, because they believe, and they don't act on God's word. And that is probably the worst comparison that you could be made of. Do not be compared to a demon. There is nothing good that will come out of that. And with that, I think this is a good place to stop for today. Again, if you have any questions or comments, please send me an email. It is in the description of this podcast. Whether you've noticed or not, I have been starting to upload some of my older episodes onto YouTube. And so you're welcome to follow me on YouTube as well. Or share with your friends. Maybe it's a little easier to share this podcast with people through YouTube, which is why I did it to begin with the more people that know the truth, the more people we have fighting for God. And that's the whole point of why I do what I do. I want to see God glorified through whatever small ways that I can help. And so your prayers are appreciated, your sharing is appreciated, and of course your participation in taking the scripture seriously is most appreciated. I don't want any glory or attention from myself. I just want God to be glorified. And that's all that I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.